Well, today we're going to have a very simple title of our message, and the title is The Second Coming of Christ. The Second Coming of Christ. As you read through the New Testament, the second coming of Jesus Christ is a constant theme throughout the scriptures, uh, both Old Testament and New Testament. And the doctrine of uh, the second coming is actually a necessity for a follower of Jesus. And we've been talking as we've been going through this that the debate is not on will Jesus return among uh, Bible scholars and among Orthodox Christians, but the debate is on the timing. And, but they all agree on this, that there will be a return, an actual physical return of Jesus Christ where the man who ascended into heaven, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who ascended into heaven, will come back down and plant both of his feet firmly on planet Earth. And so the scripture teaches that Jesus' second coming will be as real as Christmas morning, and followers of Jesus should be looking forward to it. And it's not so much we've been saying, talked about in the church today, uh, but I would say I believe it to be the most significant event that will ever take place in the history of mankind. Now, Matthew 24 and 25 are particularly interesting because uh, Jesus has been in the temple. He's been rejected by the temple leaders, and now he's going to go to the cross in a couple days. It's Passover week. Uh, And so this is particularly interesting, these chapters, because the teaching on the second coming, which comes elsewhere, and more is revealed later in the Bible, uh, but this particular teaching... Uh, comes from the lips of Jesus himself. And Jesus is telling us how to get ready, uh, how not to live for ourselves. Living for ourselves is not the way of Jesus, and it is to be living with a kingdom mindset and a kingdom purpose. Today we come to Jesus' actual return, and to be honest, uh, you know, it could be somewhat terrifying to the faithless. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're, we're glad that you're here with us today, thrilled that you're here with us. We all had to start somewhere, and maybe this is going to be the day, the day of starting for you. We certainly hope so. But it's, it's not a bad thing that if you hear about the second coming and you're somewhat afraid. So if you're like, oh no, I'm hearing it all wrong, I'm terrified, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Uh, but for a follower of Jesus, and by what we mean of that is not someone who you know, checks Christian on the, on the census poll, but someone who Jesus says has repented and believed. Repent is to turn. Believe is to put your trust. So it is to turn to God, away from your sin, to God. Not that you're not going to stop. You'll still sin, but not, hopefully not as much, and God will help you. And you'll return. You'll, re- you'll, return, you'll repent, return to Jesus, turn to God, and believe, put your trust in Jesus, And this is part of God's plan. And a lot of times you don't turn, you don't repent until the fear of the Lord is in you. And again, that's not a bad thing. But for those of us who have repented and believed, there is absolutely no reason to be afraid. Again, this is the most momentous event of all time. And for a follower of Jesus, that should motivate us today to be, you know, more sold out in our faith more diligent in our faith. And yet, for those people who don't follow Jesus, the Scripture promises us, as we will see, that this will be a very, very sad day indeed. So let's jump in at verse 29. And verse 29 and verse 30, we're only going to read 29 at the moment, are a mixture of Old Testament prophecy. Verse 29, 
immediately after the tribulation of those days, and these are the last, um, you know, the last couple of weeks we talked about the great tribulation in previous studies, a time of unprecedented trouble. So immediately after the tribulation of those days, when as soon as it ends, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The, the, The moon gets its light from the sun. Interesting Jesus knew that, isn't it? The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So Jesus says after this time of great tribulation is over that the prophet Daniel had told us about hundreds of years before Jesus lived, the last three and a half years being, we said, the worst that the world will ever see, the king returns. And Jesus teaches when he returns, there will be um, celestial phenomenon that will occur. Now, Bible students or Bible scholars debate, is it literal or it's figurative? Most everything in this chapter has been literal, but even if you want to have that debate, let's put it this way. Everybody is going to know something's going down. There's nobody who's going to think like, you know, know, it's just business as usual. Everybody's going to understand something's going on. And so whatever view one takes, by the way, just because you take a view doesn't mean it's true. You know that, don't you? Some of you don't seem so convinced. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people say, well, I think God is this. And I'm like, well, that's great. That's, I mean, it's true, right? So, or I think get this about. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything. So, so, you know, just because we take a view doesn't make it true. It will be what it will be. And it will be, Jesus saying, the earth will be shaken and everybody's going to know it. And as we have said before, Prophecy is generally not clear until after it happens. So a lot of people think, that, oh, yes, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. Jesus, remember, Jesus said, be careful of those guys. Be very, very careful of those guys. And for a follower of Jesus, the emphasis is really on readiness, not knowing how everything's going to exactly unfold and the timing and stuff like that, but to be ready for it. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says that Jesus himself holds up all things by the word of his power. Another version says he holds the universe together by the word of his power. In other words, Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And that being true, you have to just think for a second, if his full sustaining power is not at work, if he loosens his grip, do you ever think, God, he's not like us? You're holding on to something and somebody calls you and you're like, what? <laughs> you know, let go of everything. It's not like that. If he loosens his grip, gravity would weaken, and then certainly the powers of heaven would be shaken. So clearly, things will be different. And as we've been saying, as we've been going along in chapter 24 here, the Old Testament contains many apocalyptic passages about the king's coming. I'll just give you two. Joel 2.31, the sun shall be darkened, the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. This is the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, when he returns. Isaiah 13, 9 and 10. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. 
So the idea is it will be a day of darkness and a day of chaos. You say, well, that's Old Testament. I want to hear from Jesus. No problem. Luke 21, 26. Jesus says, men's hearts will be failing them. That means it's going to happen and people are going to just start dropping dead. There'll be a few people like, I know what this is. I know what this is. Men's heart failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on earth for the powers of heavens of the heavens will be shaken. So it could also be extreme natural disasters, as we've been saying, like we've never seen before. We, we don't know how bad things actually can get. Second Peter 3.10, the Apostle Peter writes, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And so, the, again, the language here in the New Testament from Jesus and from Peter and the rest of 24, as we said, seem to be quite literal. So, again, it will be a great public event. The whole world will see it. We've been talking about some people believe all of this was fulfilled in 70 AD when the Romans came in and leveled Jerusalem and the temple, but the whole world didn't see that, did they? So it would seem hard to believe that that would be uh, all take place prior to that. You say, well, how, how can you be so sure, Pastor Jim? Well, look at verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite name for himself from the book of Daniel, will appear in heaven. Now, there's been some debate over what the sign will be, but he says the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes, some versions say nations, of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So what's the sign? Well, it could be the cosmic disruption. It could be the light, which the rabbis called the Shekinah glory of God, just this bright, bright light. Uh, and, but we do know that there will be mourning. People will be sad. And then it will be followed by the appearance of Jesus himself. Now, again, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I realize some of this might sound very odd to you, uh, but, but inside, just think for a second. Most of us long for a better world, don't we? I mean, even you know, people who are, who are complete atheists, and I have nothing against complete atheists, love them, love to talk with them. That's you, love to talk to you after the service. But, but, but we all long for a better world. That's why we see in our country right now, we have the extreme left and the extreme right. Both think that the other side is ruining the world. Both think that they have the answers to get the world right. Okay? You, you didn't hear it here first, but you're going to hear it here. Neither one of them is going to get it right. Okay? That's not, that's not what's going to happen because only Jesus can fix this mess. And so this is a time of great hope for followers of Jesus and this is the beginning of what we call the millennial reign of Christ or the thousand-year reign of Christ. But that's not here in this chapter, so we'll have to keep going. Darkness will come, and then suddenly there will be a great light. The light will pierce through the darkness as the cosmos announce the arrival of the Creator. And again, we just said that that light could be the Shekinah glory of God, the blinding light of, of God's presence as the 
unveiled glory of God as the risen Christ makes his way back to earth and makes himself known to the world. Now, notice we are told instead of rejoicing, which followers of Jesus will, if we're here, another story, we'll get to that in a minute. He says, then all of the earth will mourn. Well, why will they mourn? Why would they mourn? It's kind of interesting use that Jesus has of this passage here. He's, he's basically quoting the Old Testament prophet Zechariah from Zechariah 12, verse 10 through 12. And uh, it appears uh, to be more of the mourning here appears to be more of despair than of repentance. So what happened in Zechariah 12 way back when? Well, uh, the people of God had to go to war. They crushed their enemies and they wept. You're like, they wept. Why did they weep? They won. No, they wept because, and repented because, God saved them despite their sin. They knew that they could go into the war, and God could wipe them out, and he had every reason to wipe them out, and nobody could blame them, blame him if he wiped them out. But because of his grace, because of his love, what did he do? He saved his people. Friends, do you know that's the gospel? That is the good news of Jesus Christ. That, that, that we live in this battle of life. And despite our sin, despite our failure, God saves us in spite of ourselves. And what we are to do then is to repent and say, God, you are so good. In fact, maybe it doesn't hurt to shed a tear or two. I always say, people say to me, well, you know, what, what's a man of God or a woman of God like? And I always say, well, just show me where they read their Bible. And, and is there a tissue box there? Because if there's a tissue box there, then you know you have a real man or woman of God. Because they come and they stand at the foot of the cross and they can do nothing but weep. Because God has been so good to them to save them despite their sin. And here it appears more people will mourn because it will be too late for them. They hated Jesus, or they hated his followers, or they were indifferent to Jesus. And now they're looking up at the sky and they're watching the Lord return and they know something is desperately wrong. Interesting, when Jesus came as the first time, as that first Christmas morning as a suffering servant, there was a star that first Christmas night. When he ascended into heaven, he was caught up into the clouds. In Acts 1.11, the angels, the apostles were looking up and two angels said, listen, he's, he'll return the same way that he came. He'll return in the clouds. The second coming, the whole sky will be lit. It was just a star that night in Bethlehem. It won't be like it this time. It was one star in the midst of the darkness. It won't be like that this time. There will be no darkness. There will be complete light. And Jesus says he will be coming on the clouds. Now, this reminds us of the Old Testament prophecies in Daniel 7, where the Son of Man will be given by God the Father an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. Now, we say, well, we hate cloudy days. What, what, what's so great about the clouds? In the scriptures, the clouds are often associated with the presence and the glory of God. 
He, could, he hides himself in a cloud so we wouldn't die by looking upon him. And Jesus says, I'll come back on the clouds with power and glory. Once again, he's showing us it will be clear to all. Once again, the opposite of his first coming. The first coming, lowly, born in a, probably a cave. We say a stable, but probably a cave, a smelly, smelly place full of animals. But this time, he's returning with angels and his people from heaven, and, he, and he's returning in great victory over the earth. The lamb will now come as a lion. The carpenter will now come as a king. The crucified one will now show himself to be the risen king of glory. Verse 31 Jesus says, and he shall send his angels with a great trumpet. Now, don't be thinking like all this brass band, like, you know, that's how some of us think when we read the Bible. They'll have these ram's horns, these shofars. And he will send his angels with a great, with a sound of a great trumpet. And listen, by, by the way, if you play the trumpet, you're invited. Don't worry about it. Don't feel bad. The trumpet players are going to be emailing me. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect. We believe those to be the, the people who come to faith. And there will be lots of them during the tribulation, that seven-year period. And he will gather his elect from the four winds. What does that mean? From every corner of the earth. He's going to gather them all in from one end of heaven to the other. He's going to make sure that all those that have already died are going to be part of this. And so here Jesus gives us great confidence. For the Christian, there's tremendous confidence here that he will gather all his people one day together. None shall be overlooked. None will be forgotten. And I know in this world it's easy to feel like you're overlooked. You know, you're working hard at your job and the guy who schmoozes the boss who does no work at all gets the promotion. It's easy to think that, that you're forgotten. One of our neighbors was having a party the other day, and we heard the music, and I said to Pam, we should just crash the party <laughs> and say, our invitation must have got lost in the mail. But, but it's easy to, to feel like you're overlooked or, or nobody notices you or you're forgotten. And you were hoping when you became a grown-up that would go away. But, but it doesn't go away. But Jesus says, I will not forget one of them. I'm going to send angels out and get them from every corner of the earth, those that are on the earth. They will not escape my desire for them to be with me. You can't, won't even be able to hide. Or if you're somewhere in the cosmos, wherever you are, right? You just went for a ride on a cloud somewhere. The angels are going to come along and they're going to say, come on, man, it's time to go. We're all going to go. And again, it will be no secret the, the, what it means by the sound of the, of, the, of the trumpet. I don't know exactly what it means. I know that's, a, that's the way they gathered their people in the Old Testament. But I think one thing we can say, somehow it will be loud. You know, a lot of times we think the coming of the Lord will be this, this quiet thing. He'll be coming and it'll be quiet. It won't be. It'll be loud. It will be obvious. It will be all kinds of craziness going on. Nobody will, not, will doubt that the king has returned. Now, I know some of you prophecy buffs are going, but Pastor Jim, where is the rapture? 
Where, where is the, the rapture? Well, I don't, I don't personally believe that the church is going to be here. I think the church will be gone before this time. And, uh, and you say, I know, but you haven't been telling us about a lot about the rapture here in Matthew uh, chapter 24 and 25. I think I only said it in the second service last week. I haven't been because it's not here. Now, some of you go, well, how do you know? Well, don't take my word for it. Take one of the premier scholars of the last century, Dwight Pentecost from Dallas Seminary, and he said, if you're looking for the rapture, you have to look elsewhere. It's not in these, it's not in these chapters. And so, but I find it comforting to know that in the midst of all of this chaos, Jesus says to all these angels, you go get my people and bring them to me. I love that about him. Well, everything else is going on, and he's worried about his people all the time. No matter what happened going on. Christian friend, do you know that? The, the, the crazy stuff that's going on in our world, the crazy stuff that's going on in your own life. It seems like everything is falling apart at the seams. And Jesus has his eye on you. He knows exactly where to send the angels at the right time to get you to let you know that he's there and that he cares. Another great reason why you need to read your Bible and have your tissue box ready because sometimes God will give you evidences of his watching you and you will be overwhelmed to know that you stand in the presence of God who has not forgotten you. And so somehow the angels have some tracker on you. They know where you are. It's not your cell phone. Hopefully, the, when the Lord comes back, all those things will go dead of <laughs> a few hours of quiet. But he says, get my people. Verse 32, he says, now to them, now learn. Why would he say that to the apostles? You're like, oh, I thought they were so smart. No, they're not. They're a bunch of young guys, normal guys. What I love about them, give me great hope. In other words, he's saying, listen to all of us. I'm going to teach you something simple Learn of it, accept it, apply it to your life, live it out. Now, this, learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Let's remember that word near. We're going to come across it again. It's very important. So let's take it where we live. You're driving around, and all of a sudden you start to see the leaves sprout on the tree. In a long, cold winter, you think, oh my goodness, it's spring. The warm weather's coming. Winter is over. Summer's on the way. Verse 33, so also when you see all these things, I would say all the things we've covered from verse 4 to 28, know that it is near at the doors. Knowing when you see all of these signs, all of these things that we've been through, if you haven't been here, you can listen to the studies online or Ask the guys where to get some free CDs on the way out. Get our mobile app. We'll make sure you can listen to them. There's been all these signs we've been talking about. Jesus says, when you see all of those, know it's going down quickly. It's imminent. I'm at the door. And of course, the question is, friend, are you ready? Are you ready? I'm a firm believer that everything is in place for Jesus to start taking people out of this world. Nothing else really needs to happen. And we need to be ready. If today were your last day, would you be ready? Whether by death or by, by the Lord coming for you. 
And you say, well, no, no, I, uh, the Lord showed me I have a lo- lo- another 50 years to live, another 100 years to live. Well, good for you. Are you ready to live those years to the glory of God? Or do you desire to coast? Matthew 24 and 25 is not for the coasters, not for the coasters at all. So Jesus is teaching the apostles. Seems to be that he's saying the people who are on earth at this time, they think it's going to be them. He's saying to them, to people on earth at this time and to all of us, maybe now is a good time to take an inventory of your life. You see the signs. You see the seasons changing. All of a sudden, one day, you think you're, you're, you're in high school. You think you're going to live forever. Next thing you're, you know, you're getting a, a, a thing in the mail that says, you know, AARP. You're like, that's for old people. <laughs> right? Pam went with her mother and her mo- the friendlies, and they're like, would you like the senior citizen special? And she's like, oh, that's for old people. She's like, mom, you're 80. <laughs> so life goes fast. Young people, you think you got forever. You don't. You don't. For all of us, the first signs of spring, what, what do they do to us? For most of us, it's a sign of refreshment. We're like, oh, this is great. The cold winter is over, and the signs of new life, they're all around us. Some of us are too busy to notice these things. That's not a good thing. In the midst of, the, of a long, harsh winter, we, we tend to say to one another, well, the, the warm weather will be here before you know it. You know, and then that's like your friend from Phoenix calls you in the middle of February after you just shoveled 12 inches of snow out of your driveway. He goes, you know, I miss the seasons. <laughs> right? like, Great, come back and help me shovel my driveway. So Jesus begins a, a series of teachings to equip his people for the end to get them ready, to get them prepared. You see, for the world as it exists right now, the life, the death, the resurrection and ascension into heaven of Jesus Christ is so far the most decisive event of history. And that is now in the past. Now, if you will, we are living in between seasons. We are in the season between the first coming and the second coming. Well, people say to me all the time, do you think we're in the last days? And I always go, well, tell me what you mean by that. Because we are. We're living in between the first coming and the second coming. Those, the second coming will be the last days. And so why are we living in this in-between time? Because of God's mercy. He is giving men and women everywhere the opportunity to repent. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, he is, he is waiting to give you the opportunity to turn to him, to put your trust in Jesus, and to have your sins forgiven. He is giving you the opportunity to come out of your own personal dark, dark winter and come into the new life of spring and come into the new life that he has for you. Twice Jesus says to us, don't you see it's near? 
Again, we might say, don't you see how fast life is going? But here's the problem. Many of us don't. Many of us don't see how, how, how fast life is going. Many of us, the seasons, they come and they go. And we don't notice because we're so busy. And Jesus is teaching us it will be over before you know it. How easy it is for us to overlook the budding of the trees. How easy it is for us to overlook, as we saw in verse 14, that even right now the gospel is going throughout the world. We're so obsessed with our own world and who we are and our own country and our own nation, and we read the grim news of people not caring so much about Christianity anymore, but that is not the case in the rest of the world. That is not the case in the rest of the world at all. I think of our friend and missionary Tony Reyes in the Philippines going over there to plant 200 churches in two years. And people are like, that guy's got to be smoking something, man. They're ahead of schedule because they're walking into villages where people never heard of Jesus Christ and they're telling them the good news of the gospel. They've heard of Jesus maybe, but they've never heard the gospel. And the people are like, we can have a church, really? Right? And they can't train up pastors fast enough. It's going on all over the world. Even in the midst of persecution, people are still hearing the gospel and responding, the good news of forgiveness of sins found in Jesus Christ. And here Jesus talks about a great harvest. And in the, in the gospels, the harvest has to do with a, with a time of gathering of God's people and the judgment of God's who, people who are not God's people. And so what is he telling here? That the figs are coming. They're coming onto the tree. Well, if you know anything about you know, figs or anything like that, you may, some of you go apple picking or something like that. Do you eat the leaves? Do you eat the sticks and the branches? Well, some of you probably do. You'll eat anything. But, but no, you don't. You, you pick the figs and you forget the rest. And that's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to take the figs. He's going to take his people He's going to take them to heaven to be with the other people that are with him there. And he's going to and he's going to set up his kingdom, but the other people will not go along. Now, why does Jesus tell us all this stuff? You say, well, he's just scaring me. Again, that's not a bad thing. But another reason he's telling us this stuff is so we take this as a time of deep soul searching. Am I really right with God? Am I sure that I've put my trust in Jesus? If I ask you the question today, why are you going to heaven? If you answered me that it's because you're a good person, you are not trusting in Jesus. You are trusting in yourself. If you say, I put my trust in the life of another, of his life, his perfect life, he lived in my place, of his sinner's death, he died, not a sinner, but in my place as a sinner. I'm putting my trust in him then you will go to be with him. Verse 34, highly debated text. Assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, this generation, that's the debate over this generation. It's an amazing thing. You're arguing about a period of time with the eternal God-man. I just don't even get that, but that's beyond me. I'm not as smart as other people. You're like, amen. (laughs) Who said that? (laughs) Assuredly, I say to you, 
This generation, now that word could also mean race. So some people think it's the Jews. Some people think it could be the Christ-rejecting world. I Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. So some say that in verse 34, Jesus is saying he will return in the current generation. And there was a bunch of people going around uh, after 70 AD saying that he did. If that is true, Jesus is a false prophet. I reject that. There are some people say that Jesus returned in an office in a building in Brooklyn and picked 144,000 people. They'll knock on your door, and now heaven's full, and the rest of us are just going to be wannabes. That doesn't sound like it was too public to me. I reject that. Remember last time we said that Jesus said, some will be say, oh, he's hiding in a cave. Jesus says, don't go there. Take a nap. It's not me. We reject that. And so Jesus has not come back. Now, it is possible Jesus is saying to the apostles, your generation will see many of these things. Remember, we've been talking about 70 AD was a partial fulfillment of a lot of these things or giving us a picture of a lot of these things. You could also say that now that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, all that's left is the rapid fire events of this chapter. I wouldn't argue with you about that. But in an earlier study, we said something that's very, very important to understand in your Bible reading, that we see in, throughout the Bible, we see in the Old Testament prophets quite often, when they are prophesying in the future, they are speaking like they are talking to the people that are there alive with them at the moment. But what's happening is God is giving prophecy. They are actually speaking to future generations So when people are in the midst of it, remember we said prophecy is not clear till it's in the past. So the people that are in the midst of it hear the word you and they go, it's us, it's us. And so Jesus here taking on the role of a prophet, I believe is speaking to the people who will live in that generation of that time, who who see what we talked about, the abomination abomination of desolation. And, and, And they will be hearing those things, seeing those things, Speaking at a prophet, as a prophet, in this case, I believe he's speaking to the generation that is alive at his second coming. Either way, Jesus is warning his generation and generations of all people to be ready. He is warning people who have not yet repented that he is coming. And will he be coming as your king or will he be coming as your judge? Jesus is letting them all know, and by extension, letting us all know that the judgment for sin, the breaking of God's law, is finally coming to this world. So repent and believe. Turn to God and put your trust in Jesus before it's too late. Now, I also want to say something to the many of you that are suffering. For whatever the reason is, your heart's broken, your body's broken, you're sick, your kids are just, just, it's like like an anchor on your heart. Whatever's going on, 
I just want to say this to you as a word of encouragement. Winter will not continue forever. And before we know it, loved ones, it will be summer. And before we know it, we will be with the Lord. And a big part of our mission is not only to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ ourselves, not only to become more uh, you know, mature followers of Jesus, but it's also to share the hope of Jesus Christ with the rest of the world in a loving, compassionate, honest way. And you say, well, I, I, I can't, no, I don't know if I can do that. Okay, so bring them here. Be nice and bring them here and let me do it. I, I don't mind. You know, we all have a lot of our things that we wish we didn't have. Apparently, people-pleasing doesn't appear to be one of mine. <laughs> and so, but we have a job to do. We have a mandate from the Lord to, to plead with people, to be reconciled to God. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I've said certain things over and over and over again for you, for you. Not for the people here that are, you know, that believe. I've said it over and over again for you because I want you to leave here with no mistake about it. Verse 35, Jesus points to the certainty of his words. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now, when we think of heaven, we think of a place where um, you know, angels live and they play harps all day on, on clouds, and we think, oh my gosh, that sounds so boring. Um, they, they had multiple layers of heaven, so when they talked a lot about heavens, they were talking about the sky. And so that we might say the sky and the earth, which, which seems to be the most stable things that we see. I mean, how many of you, you watched the weather forecast last night before you went to bed, you say, I'm going to go to first service so I can enjoy the rest of the day while Pastor Jim is still working the rest of the day? Well, you probably didn't say the second part. I did. <laughs> so so you, you went to bed, and you woke up, and it was a beautiful, sunny day. How surprised were you by that? You weren't that surprised, were you? After all those weekends of rain, now we're surprised by that. But you weren't surprised by that. By the way, you control freaks. The world existed without you for however long you slept. Isn't that a wonderful thing? God's really that capable. It's amazing. <laughs> He's like, all right, God, I'll delegate the world to you. My wife's always like, how do you fall asleep so fast? I go, I delegate the world to God before I go to bed. <laughs> I'm like, it's yours till I wake up. <laughs> and don't wake me up, God, unless it's serious, really. <laughs> and so Jesus says that my words are more stable than the sky. My words are more stable than the sun and the moon and the stars and, and the earth and the heaven. And, and, and when he says my words will endure longer than the universe as we know it, that is a declaration of deity. People say, oh, he never said he was God. Anybody who would have heard this, this was a private teaching to the apostles. But if the religious leaders heard it, we'd have said, there he goes again. There he goes again. Scriptures teach that heaven and earth or the atmosphere as we know it will be destroyed and will be recreated. And again, now that can happen at any time. And so again, here we have this thing where Jesus is making these prophetic predictions. So 
why he predicted, remember we said that's why he predicted 70 AD, so we would hear his other predictions and go, yeah, he must have been right about that, he was right about this. He's told people, I'm going to die on the cross and I'm going to be raised from the dead. People thought he was nuts. But now we think, well, that was a reliable prediction. He's made so many that came true already, we can certainly bank on this one, on him not being wrong on this one. And Lord willing, this gives us hope for the future. This motivates us and determines all of us to stay faithful when things get really difficult. And so this ends the first part of the Olivet Discourse from Jesus' day to the second coming. And Jesus has mapped out all of history for us. Next time, Jesus will begin to teach us what alertly waiting for his return actually looks like. And he will continue to warn those who are rejecting him. He will continue to warn the unrepentant. Why would he warn? You see, friends, when you're a Christian, and some of you are new here, and I I want you to understand this, that if you're here and you're a Christian and you haven't been around very long, people say, I don't like to read the Bible because it makes me realize I'm a sinner. Don't you realize that's God's invitation to intimacy with you? That's what he's doing. If you're married, you know this. Your spouse comes up to you and says, you know, we need to talk to something that's not right between us. And all of a sudden, you you hash it out. And then things are better. And God does the same thing. Now, of course, you're wrong. But God does the same thing. And, And he says, come on, this is why I'm convicting you of this sin. Maybe you didn't see it. Or maybe you didn't know it existed. Or maybe it's not what you didn't do that was wrong. What you did that was so wrong. It's what you didn't do. And now I want to call you. I want to empower you. I want you to do that. And so when God convicts you of your sin, consider that a call to intimacy. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, when God brings attention to you, the things you know that are wrong, I don't need to tell you what they are. You know. People telling people all the time, you know, that what sinners they are. You know, they know. Everybody knows. We have a conscience. Well, defending themselves to me, I'm going, you don't have to defend yourself to me, man. But I feel like I have to. Why? It's not like you're talking to yourself. So why would God want to let you know about your sin if you're not a follower of Jesus? Why would, you, why would he want to warn you? Because he wants to invite you into his light. He wants to invite you into his world. It's invitation. It's, it's not a put down. And in Zechariah 12, they said... He said, hundreds of years before Jesus came, Zechariah said, part of their mourning will be, they will look upon me whom they pierced. All of a sudden, they're going to realize, that guy coming back has holes in his hands. He has holes in his feet where they put the nails. People are going to mourn because they did not put their trust in him. And that kind of mourning, when you see Jesus that way, when you see your sin that way and you see him on that cross dying in your place for your sins or when you see him coming back, that's going to do one of two things. You decide what it is. It's either going to produce in your heart repentance or rebellion. It's going to be one or the other. It's going to be one or the other. You decide. Jesus does it all. You decide. It's going to produce ultimately in your life a joyful new life in Jesus Christ. Yes, full of ups and downs, absolutely. I'm not promising you everything's going to be good, but you're never alone. 
a joyful new life in Christ, or the consequences for the rejection of God's only way for you to get into heaven? How does it work? On the cross, when you put your trust in Jesus, on the cross, Jesus gets your sin, and you get his righteousness. You get his perfection. Other than that, you stand on your own. If you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, we, we, we saw that the elect or the chosen ones come from everywhere on earth. Do you know why they come from everywhere on earth? Because it's an offer for everyone. Don't let anybody or anything talk you out of the fact that Jesus Christ is calling you right now. Ward it off. Fight it off. You are being called into his intimacy and new life right now. And I thank God as much as I want him to come back. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I thank God that he has not come back yet because today you have the chance to come to him before he comes back. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, the Lord is not slack. God's not a slacker. That word means slow. He is not slow concerning his promise as some count slackness or slowness, but is long-suffering towards us. That means he puts up with a lot. Not willing that any should perish That would mean go to hell, but that all should come to repentance. Now, a lot of people have heard that verse, but do you know what the next verse is? It's one we actually read already, 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord, the day of the judgment, will come as a thief in the night. What's he telling us? Don't procrastinate. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't put it off. It will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So you ask, Pastor Jim, how do I, how do I escape that? Well, Jesus gave us the answer in John six thirty seven. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. So what, what does that mean? That means that the Father has taken you and he's given you to Jesus. The question is, what are you going to do with that? And the one who comes to me, people say, do I choose God or does God choose me? Do I choose God or does he choose me? I always go, absolutely. Absolutely. All that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That is a promise written in the blood of Jesus Christ. Forget this, but you don't know what I've done stuff. That's why, that's why God takes people like the Apostle Paul who actually hated Christians and makes him the greatest theologian that the world has ever seen. That's why God takes idiots like me and makes me a pastor. And you, if you say, yo, come on now, come on now. You ask on your way out, ask for one salty day, CD, and you'll hear the story. Forget that, well, God won't take me because. You can't be too bad, you can only be too proud. And so God will willingly take you. So today, you can come, you can be forgiven, you can be free from the burden 
sin, the penalty and the judgment of sin and the power of sin over your life that you just can't seem to get rid of. How interesting, on the, on the cross, the world became dark as Jesus defeated sin and death and evil. It tells us that everything became dark. But at the second coming, yes, the world will be dark, but then all of a sudden it will see a great light as Jesus comes to rule. My dear friend, I just simply want to ask you this question. If you are here when the day that Jesus returns or when you die, what will that day be like for you? Will you be with Jesus and will you be for Jesus? Will that day be a day of great joy or a day of great sorrow? If you want it to be a day of great joy, It can be by simply trusting Jesus. Come up front here after the service. There'll be people up front here and talk with them after the service. They'd be happy to pray with you. And you will receive the grace of God, the forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. Well, let's all stand and pray.